This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Now that the G20 summit is done, the focus of President Trump and everyone in Washington is on health care. But the potential vote is in the same place it was two weeks ago. Here is Arizona Senator John McCain on CBS's Face the Nation this past Sunday. My view is it's probably going to be dead, but I am, I've been wrong. I, I thought I'd be president of the United States. <laughs> but I, th- I, think, uh, I think I fear that it's going to fail, and then we should say... Uh, Convene a Republican conference. Say, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. Introduce a bill. Say to the Democrats, "Here's a bill." It doesn't mean they don't run, that they they control it. It means they can have amendments considered. Meanwhile, Senator Susan Collins of Maine wants a rewrite of the GOP bill. It is going to be a very busy week and next week on Capitol Hill surrounding health care reform. To discuss what we will see, we are joined here in studio by Scott Harrington, who is chair of the health care management department here at the Wharton School. And also joining us on the phone is Catherine Hempstead, senior advisor at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, and Mary Agnes Carey, who's a senior correspondent at Kaiser Health News. Scott, as always, great to see you. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure, Dan. Appreciate it. Catherine, Mary, Agnes, great to have you both with us today. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you both. Uh, It seems like the talk to start the week is more about the vote than the actual bill itself right now. So, Scott, what are you expecting here in the next few days? Well, I'd like to say I know exactly what will happen, but I think it's a total crapshoot at this point. Uh, whether or not the Senate can come together with some sort of a Republican proposal that will get the 50 votes is, at a minimum, highly uncertain right now. And if they do, uh, I think it's a crapshoot about what would happen at the House. So I'd say at this point, anyone who says they know what's going to happen, unless they really have some inside information (laughs) from a bunch of senators, is speculating. Catherine, I'm guessing the crystal ball is not out for you. No, it's a little murky over here. I would I would agree. I mean, I think we're not hearing that much talk about the bill because we don't exactly know what the what the new language looks like. But it, it does seem like a really hard course to steer that, you know, the the people that have come out and been critical of this bill, the moderates have, you know, have really taken some pretty strong stands. And it's hard to see how anything with, you know, with the Cruz-Lee amendment or even with the 45 billion for opioids is going to address that. And yeah. it does seem to me like the conversation about a bipartisan alternative is becoming sort of, you know, increasingly raised as something that's not just a scare tactic, but an actual credible alternative. So there is another place to jump. Well, Mary Agnes, obviously, there, we mentioned the, the clip from John McCain. I mentioned Susan Collins. There are a lot of senators right now that are really looking hard at, at what they will or will not allow or want to have in this particular bill. No, it's true. And, and some senators are trying to make changes. Ted Cruz, for example, has a proposal that says an insurer could sell health insurance plans that don't cover the essential health benefits. That's that required package of benefits that's in the law. That's one of the proposals. Another one would allow you to use a tax-deferred savings account to purchase your health insurance. The, The expectation today is that Mitch McConnell, who's the Senate Majority Leader, will present to his caucus. They have uh, the Republicans and the Democrats have lunch every Tuesday and they kind of get together and talk about the week that he'll lay out for his caucus what some of the changes in the bill are 
They're also expecting a new score from the Congressional Budget Office. We yeah. like to call them the CBO. They're kind of you know scorekeeper to see how that would affect the uninsured rate, how much it would cost. So it's definitely a moving target. Well, Scott, when you look at, at what has all been discussed here in the last few weeks, what are the key points that, that you really think need to be focused on? I mean, obviously, the CBO score is going to have its weight, you know, how much ever it is. But when you get down to the guts of it, what are the things that, that you are focusing on? I think it's very important to think carefully about what might be done to help stabilize the individual health insurance market. There's actually been a little bit of good news lately on that front that maybe things are starting to stabilize, admittedly, with a much lower population of insured in the individual market than had been originally forecast. But I think whatever whatever happens on the Hill, it's very likely that significant attention will be devoted to what might be done to sort of have a glide path to help stabilize the individual markets. Uh, the other the other issues are really the big the big issue would be what to do about Medicaid, yeah. if anything. And I think this is one that it's going to be much more difficult to get any type of bipartisan agreement. But it seems to me that there might be some chance, at least at the Senate, that there could be some steps where there would be some accommodation to help stabilize the markets. Well, is the is the issue of state versus state really one that, that plays in where Medicaid is concerned? Sure. I mean, you've really got a, an interesting situation here because the states that expanded Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act have tens of thousands of people for which the federal government is going to pay at least 90% of the cost of insuring those people going forward under the Affordable Care Act. And the Republican proposal is to basically scale back that federal support to the levels that are provided under traditional Medicaid. And that would create a real substantial budget version for a lot of these states. Uh, on the other hand, the states that didn't expand Medicaid come to the table and they say, we're not getting all that money. If you have some sort of a compromise here that continues that money, then maybe we should be able to come up and expand Medicaid and get that type of support. And that puts a lot of pressure on the federal deficit. One other issue that's very important and is, is just so politically charged and very important economically would be how much flexibility would be provided to the states. Yeah. And under the Senate bill, there would be substantial flexibility for states to yep. seek waivers that would greatly influence, potentially greatly influence the rules and regulations governing the individual market, especially with regard to things like essential benefits. It's difficult for me to see how a compromise can be worked out on some of that, given the positions that people have taken, but it's an important part of the bill. Catherine, where do you stand on that part of it, too? I mean, I do think that in some ways the potential for a compromise could be easier in the case of the individual market than with Medicaid, where I do think there's some really fundamental differences among um, you know the parties, even though there is maybe some shared interest and more flexibility. But with the individual market, it seems to me like most people would agree that some, some more reinsurance would be really helpful. It's definitely something that's much more needed in some states than others, but I think across the board there would be support for creating some more structures that would permit reinsurance and, um, you know, paying the cost-sharing reductions. And, you know, I think that, the you know, while it is deeply unpopular, I think that there's, you know, probably a conversation that could be had about the individual mandate and whether or not until something better is uh, developed, that that would really be something that would be more important to uphold than to discount to try to keep the market stable. But like Scott, I would agree that, you know, one of the things that I think we've seen is that the market is a little bit less healthy and a little bit smaller 
than people anticipated. That doesn't mean it's a, you know, it's in a death spiral or it's collapsing or it's failing. But I think there are some things to do that would help to bolster it. Scott, I, I think Catherine is right. And one of the things, one of the really big underlying issues here is the way the Affordable Care Act was set up, that part of the funding comes from more or less charging higher premiums to some healthy and younger people than would yep. be the case otherwise. And I think a lot of serious discussion is taking place about what can be done to sort of provide direct subsidies to cover the cost of higher cost insureds yep. so that the premium rates can be lower, which in turn might help attract more healthy people into mm -hmm. the pool and help achieve stability. And there are a variety of ways that can be done. And I think a, a positive aspect of both the House bill and the Senate bill is there is a recognition that some form of reinsurance, at least for a period of years, would be helpful to stabilize the market. And in the Senate bill, there is substantial money that it would be dedicated towards this reinsurance fund, at least in the first four or five years. Mary Agnes, I'll let you uh, comment as well. Well, no, I think that this is this gets to the heart of many of the issues they're wrestling with, right? The Affordable Care Act never really attracted enough young and healthy people to get in, and, and, and younger people tend to be healthier to help balance out the risk pool. So that's something they're wrestling with, they being... Republicans in the Senate, in particular, and Congress and, and the House, is, you know, as well. How do you subsidize? Who do you give money to? How do you help an insurer cover a higher cost case? That's this reinsurance, the cancers, uh, cardiac surgery, this kind of thing that can cost, you know, millions of dollars depending on how severe the the case is. How do you balance all that out? Some Republicans say, well, let's just pull out those sicker people and put them in a high-risk pool, make sure we fund the high-risk pool. But that yeah. experiment hasn't worked in a lot of places. So it's this balancing act with health care. You squeeze one part of the balloon, the other part pops. It's really complicated. Well, Mary Agnes, I, I mean, I mentioned the comments of Senator, uh, Senator Collins of Maine uh, earlier about the fact that she, at this point, would really like to see a rewrite of the GOP bill. Now, I, I, I don't know if that's, if that's possible, Tina, you know, to be able to do that. And it's it's tough enough as is because you have so many differing opinions, you know, even at this point at, at, of the of the situation. And the thing, too, to remember, you're right, you've got all these different opinions. You do something to appease the moderates. For example, if you gave more, you know, more uh, uh, change the Medicaid uh, per capita caps at a limited amount of money, you try to give states more money for Medicaid, the conservatives might be upset because they think that Medicaid has to be tightened. You also have to remember We've got to look at the calendar here. We're in the middle of July. Mitch McConnell and other Republicans really want to get to tax reform. Yeah. Anything the Senate does is going to have to move fast through the House. The thought is that perhaps they're pre-conferencing as we speak, and they're trying to make sure Senate Republicans are trying to make sure their House counterparts are comfortable with this so it would move quickly. But if you had a wholesale rewrite of the Senate Republican yeah. bill, you know, if it takes longer to pass – if it makes more problems in the House, they could go out for the August break and not get this done. I know there's some rumblings about staying in, but I've been in Washington 25 years, and the only time they stayed in August was for the Clinton health care bill, and that didn't work. So Scott, I'm skeptical. Scott? Oh, I, I agree with what Mary Agnes said. I mean, um, it's difficult to see a path with a substantially new piece of legislation that would be – could be achieved on a timely basis. Um, so where we are is we'll have to see what they come forward today. I don't know. I mean, certainly with 10 senators or more, 
against the bill as it stands, it looks like a very heavy lift. And I, for one, I just don't see the path that will bring in that many of those 10. Well, Catherine, if you're if you're talking to, you know, a group of uh, of uh, people that have used the Affordable Care Act over the last few years, what do you what do you say to them about what we're seeing right now and potentially what we might see going forward? Because there, there are so many pieces still in play at this point. And as you know, we have all mentioned here, uh, obviously, Congress wants to try and get this going, get this rolling here in the next week or so before they go, go for the August break? Well, I mean, I think I would tell consumers that almost under any scenario, the Affordable Care Act is going to be the law of the land in November, and we're going to have open enrollment and plans are filing rates. And, you know, I think that the the Obamacare is collapsing um, narrative isn't really true. I think some states are much less healthy than other states. But, right. um, you know, I would encourage people to, um, you know, to go out there and take advantage of, of the market and, and get get a tax credit if they qualify for one and, and get that insurance. I mean, it's, it seems to me like reinsurance ought to be a, a train everybody can ride, because I feel like the the Republicans are uncomfortable about risk pooling, where it seems like healthy people are subsidizing unhealthy people, which, you know, I actually can can understand that. I think before the ACA, you sort of had all the rules written to favor of the healthy people so that unhealthy people couldn't get coverage. And now maybe they feel like, wow, this is too much the other way. And so now yeah. we have these healthy people having to pay rates that subsidize unhealthy people. Yet I see a discomfort on from from them with more subsidies or, you know, doing more to just kind of take that sting away by increasing um, the, the tax credits for everybody. But reinsurance, I feel like, is a more politically palatable way to essentially accomplish the same thing and inject more kind of money from elsewhere into the system that would have the benefit, I think, of lowering premiums. And and what I would love to see is over time seeing that individual market just organically grow as hopefully there's more and more migration from group, you know, starting with small group and then maybe larger group and the way we work is changing. And, you know, it seems to me that over time having a functional individual market where you can buy comprehensive insurance seems like a really important piece of economic infrastructure that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that we can preserve and improve going forward. I, I agree with Catherine's comments about improving the individual market and having an environment where people might, some might be able to migrate from employer coverage. Yeah. Um, you know, the much maligned House bill did have one advantage, is that it would extend tax credits a little higher up the income scale, which mm -hmm. would give people right. more of a choice between work-related coverage and individual coverage. Uh, one aspect of the Senate bill is that it, it doesn't do that. Uh, the reinsurance thing, I agree with Catherine that the reinsurance conceptually is a very sensible way of going about helping to stabilize the markets and grow the individual market. There are people on the right, though. There are some conservatives that still are raising the uh, specter of calling this a bailout, more mm -hmm. or less saying we're bribing the health insurance industry. The health insurance industry shouldn't yeah. get all this money. And I don't know. I just don't know enough about how strong that contingent is in the House. Uh, it seems to me that in the Senate that is probably going to be manageable. But with the Freedom Caucus, I don't know whether some of those people are just going to really balk on that. Well, Mary Agnes, let, I'll let you get in on that as well. And, and also the the fact that, you know, if if reinsurance is potentially a way down the road to be able to, to you know, to get to something that works a little better, you, you also have the fact that the, probably a lot of people in America right now 
probably feel about the insurance industry the same way they do about the politicians in Washington, D.C. There's probably not a whole lot of trust that this you know, would be done properly. Well, I think that it's, it's, it's just an interesting thing because I'm remembering, I think Scott just mentioned this, we've heard this before from Republicans, that any kind of assistance to the insurance market to help cover high-cost cases a bailout, right? Yeah. There, was, there were three programs, there were three R's, if you will, uh, including reinsurance, um, that were part of the Affordable Care Act, and there was some tussles and back and forth with Republicans blocking some funding for the Affordable Care Act. So it would be kind of interesting if they propose a similar pr- program in their bill, and then they go ahead and want to fund it and move forward. But the, I think the Republican Party is wrestling, and so is, frankly, the White House administration about how much comfort, if you will, do they want to bring to insurers in the individual market or beneficiaries in the individual market versus if they don't do these things and walk away? Right. Um, and how much will they get blamed politically if you had – there's about 12 million people in the exchanges. And, of course, we've talked about Medicaid. A key thing here is I think it's really dawning on a lot of lawmakers how – wide Medicaid is. It's 74 million people. It's two-thirds of the nursing home care. It's half of all births in this country. It's an extraordinary, uh, comprehensive, and wide program that affects, as we said, 74 million people. That is really getting through. Well, they have to deal with the issues on the exchange. uh, This idea of changing the fundamental funding structure on Medicaid, right, taking it from the shared federal state program we now have with varying matching rates all over the country, depending on the state, to a capped allotment means states are going to have to make a lot of decisions on who they cover, how much they spend, what services are offered. And that is really popping up as a key obstacle for the Republican Party that I don't think, honestly, they anticipated. Yeah, a couple of comments on that. I mean, many people tend to lose sight of the fact that most projections suggested Medicaid spending is unsustainable yeah. over the long run. So something's going to be done. And I wonder if yeah, politics aside and focusing on the economics, I think there's a pretty strong argument that could be made for separating these issues and really focusing on what do we need to do in the individual market and then leaving the Medicaid debate uh, for a separate piece of legislation, a separate dialogue over a longer period of time. Uh, but again, that's economics and thinking about these issues and how they might play out. There clearly are some connections between the individual market and Medicaid. But one of the real challenges with the Affordable Care Act and now the proposed proposed repeal and replace is that you've got so many really big issues that are very complicated that are combined in one piece of legislation. And we even even touched on the repeal of some of the ACA taxes that are proposed in these bills. And that's another moving part, Mm -hmm. because unless you get projected deficit reduction, then the vehicle for making this happen with 50 votes plus the VP disappears. Well, Catherine, the, the, the That brings up a good point, which I've heard a a few times now uh, being mentioned, is whether or not this needs to be broken down into a piece-by-piece move and and not trying to tackle all of it at at one point. I mean, there has been a a couple of people on the Republican side that have said, okay, maybe we should just do the repeal and then we work on the replace, you know, as we move along. I I mean, that's that's a hard thing to say, but with so many working pieces, moving pieces here, is it time to start thinking, you know, let's tackle A, B, and C and worry about D, E, and F maybe after the break? Well, I mean, I think I think the idea of repealing the ACA, quote unquote, and then replacing later is, you know, is really just 
too much like jumping off a cliff for, for lawmakers to go along with. And, right. and I, I don't feel like that's got any potential at all. But I mean, right. another kind of separation, which I think Scott was bringing up, was separating the individual market from the Medicaid discussion. And yeah. I, I personally think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the one kind of interesting issue is that expansion population, because I think when the ACA was first being you know, conceptualized, there was a thought of placing that group, you know, into the exchange as well, which is something that you probably know Arkansas did with a waiver. But it was rejected ultimately because it was too expensive because, you know, the provider rates that are going to get paid under Medicaid are a lot lower than, you know, out in the commercial insurance market. So that's, you know, one issue that I think a lot of people have thought about, hey, what if if everybody extended Medicaid to 100% of FPL and then, you know, we actually did accommodate that the rest of that population in the individual market and you know would that in the long run really sort of be be more sensible than having these huge disparities between some states where you know there's just no coverage for childless adults you know above yeah. like 17% of poverty versus these other states so i mean i think that if that would be a potential area for some bipartisan compromise and maybe really kind of thinking through them, what do we do to make the individual market work well when we add this other population to it? But, you know, that might just be hoping for a little too much. Mary Agnes? Well, I think it's really interesting, this idea that Republicans, this uh, that, and President Trump has put this out in a tweet and other Republicans are talking about it. We should just repeal the Affordable Care Act. Think about how that would play out. Yeah. You would vote to repeal. You'd have to do it by a date certain, right? And then the theory is, uh, I think President Trump has said he thinks Chuck Schumer would come running to Mitch McConnell and the Republicans and want to negotiate because they wouldn't want peril to fall onto all these folks in the individual market. I don't think Chuck Schumer would be the least bit inclined Mm -hmm. to to negotiate with him with any urgency or speed and would use that leverage, which you would give Democrats a ton of it if you did that, to extract what they want. And they feel very confident the political damage would go right on to President Trump and the Republican Party. So I understand that intellectually from their point of view, if we can't get the whole loaf, you get the half a loaf. But that's not the half a loaf that's going to help them. But the other problem with a lot of this is, is, and it was alluded to by everybody, is that uh, we are at a time right now moving through 2017 where in 2018, a lot of the people that are are on Capitol Capitol Hill right now are going to be worrying about elections and real elections at this point, Magnus. So, I mean, it's part of the reason why I think Mitch McConnell feels that he has to really push this through now to have something done. So to a degree, it is set aside and not a big issue in 2018. Right. No, you're absolutely right. Right. They've got to deliver to the base. Mitch McConnell is the one who said, I want to repeal this root and branch. Yeah. But he's also a political realist and he understands what budget reconciliation, which is the fast track procedure they have, He's got to get at least 50 votes, which means Mike Pence comes in and casts the tiebreaker. So he's got to be realistic and try to get what he can get. But one could also make the argument from the Republican Party, and I think some strategists are making this argument, that because they're getting so much pressure on the Medicaid piece, right, which may or may not be paired off, and they're getting so much pressure um, on essential health benefits, pre-existing conditions, and so on, if they don't get a bill passed – what will happen in the individual market? HHS just put a report out yesterday talking about that there were fewer issuers this year than last year, that they had dropped down by about 30%. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean massive problems because you could have issuers go into more markets, right? You could have fewer issuers, but they go into more markets. But right. nonetheless, 
you may have Republicans who simply look at the individual insurance marketplace and say, you know what, even if we don't do anything, this thing could be twisting in the wind. As long as we, as a Republican Party, fund those cost-sharing subsidies, that's the money that helps about 60% of people with their co-pays, their deductibles, and so on. If they committed to that, and they haven't done that, if they commit to the cost-sharing subsidies and simply don't pass anything, they may feel that that uncertainty will drive insurers away, and then it will be a political risk for them whether or not they get blamed. If you definitely pass a bill that caps Medicaid funding, that spikes prices to some extent in the individual market that maybe provide plans that aren't as comprehensive, then you've got to be accountable for that as well, not only in your next midterm, but in your next presidential. Scott? The Republicans are between a rock and a hard place, and Mm -hmm. whether or not they can somehow push those rocks aside and and slide out of this is really an open question. I think the politics on this have have really changed towards having it be all bad for the Republicans at this point. Uh, I I will pull out the crystal ball here for a second for all three of you, and Catherine, I'll start with you. Uh, Do you Mm -hmm. think we're going to see a vote before the August recess? Well... Sounds like uh, Mitch McConnell said he wants a vote no matter what. Yeah. So I guess if I think he's sincere about that, I'd say yes. I mean, I'm going to use another metaphor uh, that I think the Republicans have painted themselves in a corner, kind of, because it it turns out that ripping out the ACA root and branch is functionally equivalent to saying you're going to take insurance coverage away from millions and millions of people. And and I think that's a non-starter. I mean, that's basically kind of unprecedented in modern history to take a step back like that. And so... Once the CBO kind of points out that that's basically what that means, I just don't really see how they can go forward with it. So I would say there's going to be a vote, and it's and it's it's not going to be a positive vote. Mary Agnes, here's my thought: the last week of July is when we will see this massive push on McConnell's part, Mitch McConnell, the majority leader in the Senate, to get this on the floor. It could go late into that week. It could go into the first few days of the August recess. Well, they will try to get something. But the key thing will be if they don't have a piece of legislation that the House can pick up and pass basically on a quick roll call, then it may not happen. So I think if we're going to have a vote, it'll be the very last week, very late in that last week of Mm -hmm. July. Scott, Um, that's my impression as well. Great to have you all with us. Uh, We will be, uh, I know, back in touch with all of you probably in in about four weeks' time. Thank you all. (laughs) Greatly appreciate it. Catherine, Mary Agnes, thank you both. Scott, great seeing you again. Thank you. Thank you all. Scott Scott Harrington uh, from the uh, Wharton School, the Healthcare Management Department. Catherine Hempstead from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Mary Agnes Carey from Kaiser Health News. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 